Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to the Activation Class, Becoming Who You Are, taught by teaching pastor Daryl Feaster. How long did it take for you to grow up? We We're still on our own. Well, maybe there's another question. What does it take for you to grow into who you are today? What did it take for you to grow into who you are today? Experience. Uh, yeah. Experience. Experience. And Time. Miracle. This series is about uh, becoming who you are. The idea that uh, knowing who you are is one thing, but becoming it is something entirely different. And so we're trying to make this. These are activation classes. And what I want you to hear, it's not so much about the information that I'm going to be pouring out. Okay, It's not about that. It's really about you letting God give you that information in order to put it into practice. And it's the practice that makes it permanent. It's the practice of it that transforms you. It's the process. What it took for you to grow up is time and parents and strategy and process. Uh, you had ups and downs, ins and outs. All of those things were part of you growing up, becoming who you are today. When you came to Christ, this is on your notes, if you've received Jesus Christ, you, that's you, you are a new creation. You've been born from above, made alive in Christ, and Christ came to live in you. The old you has been crucified with Christ, buried with him, and a new you raised with him. Becoming who you are is simply growing up into the new you. Some of you said you hadn't grown up yet. You're still growing up. Maybe it took years. Maybe it took Parents, it took a lot of different things. I want you to understand, I want you to have that same mentality about becoming who you are. It's not an instant fix. When you were born again, you changed. You, the real you, became a new creation. Uh, We talked about the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, the tadpole last week. We talked about Mm -hmm. becoming a frog. And most of us think, well, all it took was for them to go into a cocoon, come out a butterfly. The tadpole is in this little pond. Suddenly, the life that's in him grows legs. And But what if you were the caterpillar? What would it have taken for you to become a butterfly? You had to make a cocoon. You had to make the cocoon. You'd have to die to your old life. In other words, in a real way, a caterpillar does by instinct. But I want you to understand in our humanity, what's it going to take for me to become This new creation that I already am. The life is already in me. How do I get what's in me living through me? And that's what we're talking about. And so I had planned a different direction kind of, but I wanted to kind of get into the strategy. But the Lord really laid on my heart this week, you've got to believe something about you first, that you really are new. Because what happens is, is we sometimes come to Christ, we we are born again, and we add him to our life. Does that make sense? We mm-hmm. add him to who we already are. We add him to what we're already doing. If you were to take the caterpillar out of the cocoon, if you were to try to help it out, you'd actually kill the caterpillar. You'd kill the future butterfly. 
Sometimes we like instant, we like think, and we try to help each other out. And I want you to understand, your process of becoming who you are is your process. No one can do it for you. And once that caterpillar gets out, it doesn't automatically just fly off. It sits there with its new wings. It has something brand new that it has to discover how to work. Same thing with a tadpole. Tadpole in a little puddle, swimming around with a tail in the puddle. His whole world is the puddle. But suddenly something begins to grow on him because the life that's in him is forming legs. But when he gets, he doesn't understand what life's going to be like without a tail. Until it's formed and he crawls out on the ground and then he doesn't just leap into life. He exercises, he learns how to walk in this new life that he's got. That's what we're talking about in becoming who you are. It's not, here's the thing, sometimes the devil will beat you up with thinking you ought to be better than this. You ought to know more than this. You ought to be, and I want you to understand, it's okay to be learning what you got and putting it into action. And as you practice it, it becomes permanent. It becomes who you are. And so as we're talking about this, I want you to understand that that's who you really are, but it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen without process. The first thing we face after new birth is how to live it. We have to be convinced that this new life is better, in fact, the best life that God has for you. It's not just a trial life. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'll go try church out. This is not about church. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and a brand new life. It is about the new you. And here's the thing that you'll discover. You can't go back if you're really a new you. The caterpillar cannot. The butterfly never goes back to the cocoon. It never goes back to a crawling life. The the frog can live in the puddle, but that's the life's no longer in the puddle. The life is in him, the frog. I want you to understand there's a new life in you. So what I want to spend some more time on today, and I realize uh, I've only got two more weeks after this. So, I, I, But you've got to get this. The old life doesn't work anymore if you're a new creation. It doesn't work. Here's what I'm going to say to you. You can't get life out of it. You really can't get joy out of it. And I If you don't understand that, what you'll try to do is to say, well, I'm going to add. Remember I said, what we tend to do as a Christian, we try to add Christ to what we have been. We try to add Christ to what we are. Do we try to add? And I want you to understand, the first thing you've got to get through is that God really says you're a new creation. Now, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 in the New King James, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The word work out in the Greek is listed on your notes. Keter, ergos, oh my. Sounds good, doesn't it? It means to work out fully and thoroughly to accomplish or achieve an end, implying thoroughness. 
In other words, to finish or carry something to its conclusion. Get her done. In the first century, it was used of mining, to operate the mines in such a way that you get the utmost value out of them. In harvest, it was used for harvest. In other words, get the whole harvest, and you keep harvesting until you've finished. You've finished. You've, co- you've collected the whole. You, you've got all of the value of what was there. And that's what it's saying about working out your salvation. doesn't mean you labor to make it happen. It's that you, you live in it in its thoroughness to reach the conclusion to become who you really are. And here's the thing. You have a divine advantage. God is at work in you. It's not left to yourself. It's not do the best you can. It's that you participate with what God is already doing in you. It's like you're in this cocoon and you're made, and you're working with Him. And He's going to break forth a new life. In a new life. In a new way. It is a process though. In mathematics, it means to work the problem until you reach the ultimate conclusion. Here's the point of that verse. Don't go halfway in your salvation. Don't just punch your ticket and think, well, I did what they said. Now I'll just get on with my life until I die. And then when I die, suddenly death is going to take care of all my problems. I want you to know that's a horrible way to live. Why don't you let God take care of your problems now? So that when you die, you just enter into the joy of the fullness of what God has planned. But so much of the time, let's just be honest. In, in America, we tend to, uh, salvation is about forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when you die. Now, those, both of those things are absolutely true, but how short is that from what God had planned for you? I read a scripture this morning in Genesis that when God created man and woman, male and female, he wanted them to have authority over all. Right. He wanted them to live to the fullness. And they, as they were dependent upon him, they could live in true delegated authority in this earth for the glory of God. God wants you to have victory in your life. He wants you to have authority in your life. He wants you to walk above your, you walk through your circumstances in victory. Doesn't mean that you want bad times happen and good times happen, those kind of things, but to go through it. And not get stuck in it. Okay? Joshua 1.3, God told Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you. As I said to Moses, the land was theirs by promise, but they possessed it by what they walked out. You have everything necessary for you to live the full abundant life, but you will only enjoy it as you walk it out. And we're going to be talking about how do I get to the place that I'm actually walking it out. But I want, first of all, for you to be convinced that you're not who you used to be. That you are a new creation in Christ. See, if I don't believe that, then the devil can take me on round and round that mountains of those circumstances again and again and again. Because I keep, the devil is accuser. He'll keep bringing up your past to destroy your future. Old things have passed away, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. You're a new creation. Old things become, 
passed away, all things have become new. All things have become new. You say, well, I was saved when I was a child. All things became new for you. And God has, and you're in the process of discovering everything you got when you got Jesus, no matter what age you are. Thank goodness that we were saved as children. Think what we could have got into. Some of us were saved and got into it because of the world. Well, how do I then stop that and become who God made me to be? First, I've got to understand that I really am a new creation. No Christian should be satisfied with anything less than the total benefits of the gospel. Okay? 2 Corinthians 1.20. Did I put that on your page? This is in the Amplified. It says this, For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes, their answer in Him, in Christ. For this reason, we also utter the amen, so be it, to God through Him in, the, in His person and by His agency to the glory of God. Maybe you've heard the scripture. All God's promises are yes and amen. Yes. In Him. In other words, everything God has promised, His promise to you is a yes in Christ. What God has promised, but like He said to Joshua, I've already given you all this, now walk in it. Walk in it. And every step that they took, they were taking to already possess, they were, they were possessing what they already had. So what I want you to understand, I'm not telling you try harder. I'm trying to tell you, discover what God put in you. And then practice it. Discover Christ. Can I be honest with you? Most of us know Jesus by the teachings of other people. Yes. We know about him. One of the assignments I'd like to give you is to read through the Gospels this week. When's the last time you started with Matthew and read through the end of John? For some of us, it's been a while. Here's what a lot of and here's what I really want you to get. Becoming who you are is not a Sunday thing. It's a lifestyle. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You get the idea? It's a lifestyle. It's a living. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. In other words, when God gave you Christ, he gave you all of his promises are, are yours in Christ. Where does Christ live? In, you. in me. In you. You're a new creation in him. Okay. Don't be satisfied. Let's just be honest. In America, salvation has been reduced to going to heaven when we die. And so we settle for the mess of life with the hope of heaven someday. That's not all that God promised. What happens when we believe that we're, it's just about going to heaven is that we don't step into the fullness of God's promises now. We settle for a substandard life when we can actually walk in the presence, power, and the promises of God. The Christian life becomes an ideal, but nobody lives it. It becomes, yeah, but we're only human. To err is human. Have you heard that before? 
You are a new creation. You're more than just human. You have returned back to what God intended. Christ, God coming to be in you. Everything that He expects of you. And He's just asking for your participation, for you to become everything you were intended to be. You are filled with the very life of the Spirit of God. Christ lives in you. Now, I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. In 1980, I spent three years in Romans chapter 6. Now, I was a pastor, and I kept preaching sermons on Sundays, but I spent three years because God gave Connie and I a revelation of who he was and that our old man had died with him. I could not understand it. If my old man had died, why am I still having problems with this stuff? If my old man has died, why can I live it? And so I want you to understand, it took me a three-year process, and I'm still in Romans 6, as you can tell. I'm talking about it this morning. Because I want you to understand, this is where Paul tells us that you just can't, can't stay living in sin. If you think, well, I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, it doesn't matter how I live now. You, I'm not sure you even know who Jesus is. Because Jesus came to save you from your sins, not in your sins. Okay? But I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about sinning less <laughs> because of who Christ is in us. Okay? Pastor, Pastor. Yes. I think the, the big one of the biggest issues, in, and I don't know where everybody grew up, but I grew up in the Church of Christ, is there's not... If there's not a good understanding of God's grace, uh, you know, and so I feel like, you know, we cheapen it or we don't accept it, you know, and so then when we start to cheapen God's grace, you know, that's what kind of what you were saying is, you know, I have God's grace and so now I can do whatever I want. Yeah, and that's right. So I, I just think that there's it's, it's tough for a lot of people having not grown up, you know. Learning the true concept of God. And let me tell you, you're just as saved if all you know is Jesus. I'm not saying anything about adding to it. I'm talking about discovering what you got when you got here. But most of us are not taught of what we got when we got here. That's the grace part. It didn't happen because of our works or our merit or anything like that. It happened because of God's love for us and His Giving of his life, his grace, God's empowering presence to make you what God always intended you to be and already sees you are. God's grace is his empowering presence. He didn't lead you to yourself. Most of us grew up thinking, I have to be better. I have to do good in order to be accepted. I have to do those things. If we could do that, we didn't need grace. If we could live up to it, if we could really do good enough for God to accept us, then Jesus died needlessly. But God knew we could never live up to it, so His grace came to set us free from ourselves and our sin. Most of us don't realize how free you are from yourself. You think, this is the way I am. No, that's what you believed about yourself when God says something totally different. Romans chapter 6. I want to read this entire chapter out of the message translation. Thanks, Corey, for sharing that. That's, what, what are we to do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgetting? 
forgiven? I should hope not. I want you to mark things that stand out on that page as we read through it. I want you to mark things that leap off the page at you, okay? Because sometimes that's how God speaks to you. Something stands out to you as you read. And you're welcome to read this out of other... The reason I'm doing it is because I, I almost memorized it. Connie and I and our girls, would, we, we would memorize it. We would practice in the car, memorizing Romans chapter 6. And we would quote a verse, and then they would quote a verse back to us. And, we, and I just, because it was so much of what God was revealing, I had to put it in me before I could live it through me. Alright? So, I'm going to go back to verse 2. I should hope not. If we left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call, what we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. But alive, He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experiences that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started to listen, you started listening to a new master. One whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. Now, I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. 
You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom? Your lives healed and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing. You're proud of. Now, where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do. And have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise. A whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. Now, the reason I read all of it is I want you to see it in context. Paul is saying, you are free. You are free. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter even how you act. What Paul is trying to get across to you, if you know Jesus Christ... Sin is a dead end for you. It will not work. God has taken you out of that. There is no way, First John even talks about it, he that really knows God doesn't sin. Now he's not talking about doesn't ever sin. He's talking about you can't continue in that because you're a new creation. But here's the thing I want you to hear. So many of us think that there is this dual thing that's going on in my life. Sometimes the devil does this, sometimes God makes me the referee and I just have to do it. No, you're not a referee, you're a new creation in Christ. You don't have to listen to that lust, you don't have to listen to that lure, you don't have to listen to that accusation. I love that part that says, sin is a foreign language to you now. Wouldn't you like it that sin would be a foreign language? That God's word would be your mother tongue? That you would understand it first? I want to tell you that's what you have. The problem is we don't believe that's what we have. I grew up believing that I could not help from sinning. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. I grew up believing that. And so when I sinned, it was just, okay, God, forgive me again. And my whole relationship to God was all about forgiveness, not about freedom. So I was continually rededicating my life to God. Anybody been there before? Oh God, I did it again. Oh God, I did it again. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And so I started treating God like a forgiveness bag. That when I sinned, when I really blew it, I did what I didn't want to do, and I knew I'd done it. I went to God and said, do it again, God. It's almost like I said, Jesus died for this one. Jesus died for this one. And it was this constant cycle of, of I'd be on the mountaintop and then I'd be in the valley. I'd be on the mountaintop and I'd be on the valley. And, and God was at work in me, but I didn't know that I was free from it. I didn't know that I was believing a lie. That the sin that I was stepping into was because I believed that's, what, that's all I, I was just human. That's just what you do. And it wasn't until I started to put into practice what God said I was that I discovered I could say no to it. 
I want you to hear that. You can say no. And not only can you say no, but all the power of God who has made you a new creation is behind your no. Now, the feelings immediately didn't change. Oh, I, should, I still had guilt. I still had... But, but then all of a sudden I realized, that's not who I am. And I began to say to these accusations, and I began to say to these temptations, that's not who I am. I'm an oak of righteousness in Christ Jesus. I don't have to live that way. And when I started to practice my no, I found victory over the things that had always conquered me. Now, it wasn't my practice that gave me victory. Christ had already given me victory. It was me just applying it, stepping out on that promise of God and making it my own. And when I started stepping out on that promise, now you'd think, well, all your problems cease. No, I just discovered new ones I had to step out into. Then all of a sudden it was new things. It was, I didn't even know that thing was there. And now here it is. But I learned the secret. I can say no to that because that's not who I am. That's not who I am. You've got to know who you are and put it into practice. See, most of us think we know who we are. But if you were to define yourself, how many of you would define yourself this morning negatively? How many would you tell me? If I were to ask you, who are you? You would tell me what you don't, as a Christian. Who are you as a Christian? You'd tell me what you're not doing. You'd tell me how you are faithful. You'd tell me where you're not at. And say, I'm going to tell you, all of God's promises are yes. Amen. He's not saying that's who you are. He's saying that's not who you are. Trust me. Believe me. And it's only when I believe Him and stand on His promise that I find victory, that I'm standing on the soil of victory. I'm standing in my promised land. that making sense? Okay. So it's not about me working something up that I didn't know. It's me discovering something I already had. And becoming to know how to walk in it. A big thing is, another thing is, sin speaks a dead language. I want you to understand, sin cannot command you any longer. It can only lure you. Sin cannot command you. The only way sin can get you in its bondage is that you agree with it. Follow me? You agree with it. God has defeated that. It is out. God has, he has, he never So here's the way I want to say it. God is not dealing with your sin problem. He's dealing with your righteousness problem. He's not dealing with what you've done wrong in the past. He's dealing with what's missing in your future. He said, discover me. Discover me. I have more for you than all the past that you could ever bring up. That is under the blood. That is covered. That is gone. Most of us need to have a revelation that all the things that I've done in the past are gone. They're past. Not just past in time. They're under the cross. They were paid for on the cross. Paid in full. There's never going to be an accusation from God. God's never going to bring it up again. Yes. Deep breath. God's never going to bring it up. So if it's getting brought up, guess who's doing it? Now what do I do? I have to stand 
and say, that's covered. That's forgiven. That's not who I am. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If I don't understand that in my spirit and in my soul, I'll find that I will just revert back. And let me tell you, people say, Christian life is so hard. Let me ask you a question. How easy is the life without God? Harder. Yeah. The easiest life there is to live is following Christ. The easiest life there is to live because you're not left to yourself. He's in you. He's with you. He's empowering you. The way you've conquered that sin of yesterday is you you let Christ, you let God deal with it. He's already dealt with it. God's not dealing, <laughs> He's not dealing with our sin anymore. He dealt with it 2,000 years ago. Now, listen to, don't hear me say that God, God's not concerned about sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God's not dealing with the sin that's bothering you. He already took care of it on the cross. What he's saying now is, the reason that sin can still be there is you're missing my point that I have for you. You're missing what I'm doing, what I'm doing for you now. And when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, when he brings up a sin, it's in order for God to deal with it. It's not for him to punish you or to put you under the circumstances. It's in order for you to be set free from it. When God shows you what's wrong, he really is not talking about the wrongness of it. He's talking about what you're missing in your walk with him. He really wants you to have him. There's a freedom that you can walk in, and it's already there. It's already paid for. You know, we live in America. We walk out in the freedom. But isn't it amazing how little freedom we have in America? Mm-hmm. How much we give over to somebody else to control us and to do? We've got so much freedom in Christ. All right. God's not dealing with sin in your life. He dealt with it in Jesus. He's dealing with your righteousness. You're living with Him. What are you dealing with that God sees is already dead? What are you dealing with now in your life that God already sees as dead? Well, I've done this and I've done that. That was paid for. That was paid for. That was paid for. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't just die for your past. He died for your past, your present, and your future. His death covered all sin. Sins that you hadn't even been revealed yet. He's paid for it. Be alive to God. See, here's the thing. We're so alive to our sin. Be alive to God. Be God conscious instead of sin conscious. So much of so much of our life, among my life, I stand afraid that I was going to do something wrong instead of living in the rightness of God. Practice newness of life. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 is on your paper. So I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, that empty-headed, mindless crowd. They refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with the reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. 
feeling no pain. They let themselves go into sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. And I underline this, I hope in yours, if it's not underlined. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. And here's the thing that you can't assume. That you've, been, you've learned Christ. We've learned about Him. Tony and Jennifer, how long have y'all been married? Eight years. Eight years. Did you know everything about Tony when you married Tony, did you learn a few things about Jennifer since you've been married? Yeah, I know. Isn't it amazing? In other words... We have this assumption that we know somebody until we get into relationship with them. See, many of us say as children, we got into a relationship with Jesus years ago, but it wasn't until we were adults that suddenly we realized it was a real relationship. We had a religious kind of thinking about Jesus until a point, maybe an encounter in our life, that suddenly Jesus became a real person. And I'm in a real relationship. And all of a sudden, now, why I told you about the Gospels? We have, we have a book, a history account of how Jesus lived his life. How many of you know that after Jesus was baptized, he went a month and a half in the wilderness fasting? Mm-hmm. We read over that. Jesus was led in the wilderness by the devil to be tempted of the devil. We know all the three temptations. How many of you know that he fasted for a month and a half? Why did he fast? We know at 12 years old he's in the temple when he's a child. And he said, uh, he's asking, he's, he's there with the priests and the teachers and stuff. And, and they couldn't find him. They come back and they find him. He said, don't you know I'd be about my father's business? He was always hungry because he was in a relationship with the Father. I want you to understand, the only way you're going to know Jesus really is to know how he lived his life. How he lived. Paul lived it. But see, we just take what Paul said. We don't take how Paul lived. You realize that for 14 years, Paul didn't come out and preach. For 14 years, man's flesh and blood didn't tell him he was spending time with Jesus. For 14 years before he got into ministry. Went over into Arabia. See, that's all in our Bible. But what we do is we take these texts and we pull them and we think we know because we've heard it said. What I want to invite you into is to get into a living relationship with the person of Jesus Christ and let him talk with you, walk with you, tell you who he is and what he has for you. How many of us have ever said, I just can't understand the Bible? I mean, I just can't understand the Bible. I try to read it. It just doesn't make any sense. When you were dating someone and they wrote you a love letter, we don't do that. Maybe it's a text. (laughs) You got an email. How did you read that letter? How did you read that email? Connie and I used to do this. Now, we're old. <laughs> 46 years, we wrote letters. 
she kept all the letters. I had such good penmanship back then because I was thinking about what I was saying to her. Don't you know? See, when you're when you're in a relationship, suddenly the book opens up and you see the person. But if you read the book for instruction, if you read the book just to know, to read the book to answer the questions, you're missing the value of what God has left us. Matthew talks about his kingship. Mark was probably the first gospel written talking about who. John tells you about his person, who he really was. Luke tells you the history and then goes on into Acts of what, it, what, what the encounter was. At. You see, the book is alive when you are reading it from a personal relationship. But get your aversion. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. This is one of the disciplines that you're going to get to know Jesus is by reading the book. We call it the Bible. You were told, you need to be reading the Bible. You need to get into the Word. No, you need to realize you have the relationship with the author. And when you go to the book and you open it up, don't say, I'm going to read five chapters. Read it with a heart to hear what he's saying to you or show you who he is. And so when you're reading the Bible, talk to him. Lord, what do you want me to see? Lord, would you tell me how to deal with this issue going on in my own life? And then just watch what God does. The Psalms, you know, some of the most depressed people were in the Psalms. <laughs> but they always come out on but God. Because David had a living relationship with the one he was writing to. And he had all the problems of life, but he would always come back out. Not because he knew Scripture, but because he knew the author. He was a man after God's own heart. Okay? Don't assume that you paid careful attention to him. Don't assume that you've been well instructed in truth precisely as it is in Jesus. Now let me go on. If you do get to know him and you really are taught by him, you don't have the excuse of ignorance Everything, and I do mean everything, connected to that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. Alright? When you read the Scripture, God shows you something Rehearse it all day long. Think about it. Ask him what he's saying. What does that mean to me? What's that? What, are you asking me to do something with this? What's this showing me about you? The whole point is I'm not reading the Bible for information or to get my daily Bible reading done. I'm reading the Bible to get to know Jesus. And then when you do that, the Bible comes to life. And when I'm saying that, I'm not saying that you will understand. I remember I spent three years in Romans 6. You say, you really didn't spend three years. Yeah, I did. I spent three years. I preached it. It became the message. It became my life message. Christ in you is your confident expectation of victory in life. It's your hope of glory. 
I labor until Christ be formed in you. That you discover who he is. I get no greater joy than to paint a picture of what he has planned for you. And it's because the old has passed away. God's not working on the old you. He killed it. He buried it. Quit digging it up. We're all grave robbers. You do know that, right? We keep bringing up to God what He's already buried. <clears throat> we keep digging it up and saying, oh God, would you deal with this? I did. I buried it. Quit digging it up. We are grave robbers. When you go back to what you've always been, what you've always done, you're robbing the grave of what God has buried in the ground with Jesus Christ. And he, when he brought you out of that grave, he left that there. We say, well, why do I have problems with the old? Because you didn't lose the memory of it, and the enemy uses it to accuse you, to bind you, to keep you bound. And the only way that you'll be free from it is you understand that Christ dealt with it. We keep trying to deal with what Christ has already dealt with. Oh, God, forgive me. I did. Oh, God, forgive me. I did. Aren't you glad God's patient? (laughs) All right. He expects you to set it aside because it's dead. It's a dead end. Listen to me. There's a lot of people that find Christianity and they find themselves failing after they come to Christ. They have such great expectations. They come to Christ and they find themselves fall. They find themselves failing. And what they tend to do is they believe that they have failed. And therefore there's no hope for them. And so they go back to the old life. Have you ever read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? And uh, a lot of times what we've done is we've tasted and then we've assumed what we tasted was the full meal deal. And then when it doesn't do what we thought it would do and our expectation is disappointed, we think God has failed us. When in reality, God didn't fail us. We failed to press on through and believe the truth about what he said. You see, that's not who I am. I have fallen. I failed. I sinned. But that's not who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's just what I've done. And God says, if I confess my sins, he's able to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. 1 John 1 He's faithful to forgive me. He's faithful to cleanse me. So all I've got, how many of you ever failed? Anybody ever failed? How many of you learned from failure? Yeah. I wonder if God ever intends, you know, Israel lost battles but they had the land. It was theirs. You're going to falter, you're going to fail, you're not going to live up to your potential, you're going to all of that, but God never gives up on you because He sees what you're going to be. And He's fully committed to let you, as you step into it. You know, here's the Old Testament. A man falls seven times, but he gets up. Mm-hmm. A man, a single strand can be easily broken, but three strands... It's hard to break. It's hard to break. 
Folks, listen to me. God doesn't expect you to live on your own. He's in you. He's worked in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Okay. One more scripture and we're done. Philippians 3, 8 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Don't dumb. Graphic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules, which I could get the robust kind uh, that comes... Okay. Robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his sufferings, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was a way, any way, to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have it all together, that I've made it, or had it made. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, whose soul has has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this. And that's Paul. I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Your real power comes from your awareness of God. Be relentless in pressing into Him. What you focus on, you become like. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You focus on these things and you're going to become like those things. You focus on God, you're going to become like God. What you focus on, God needs to become not just your passion, but your obsession. Christ needs to become your obsession because he's already in you. And it is a joy to him to reveal himself to you. And then when he does, and we're going to talk about next week, I hope we're going to talk about next week, every time he changes it. We're going to talk about what are the practices? How do I put this into practice daily that I am becoming that in process? All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We're asking you become our focus. Be the passion of our heart. Lord, it doesn't mean I step out of life. I step into life with you. It doesn't mean I stop doing other things. I do these things with you in mind. Lord, I pray that you would help us see that you have started something in us that you will bring on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend the rest of my life discovering what you gave me when you gave me Jesus. I give you praise and honor. Bless these in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.